Welcome to The Point of View Show. My name is Andrew Tran. I'm your host. This show highlights business professionals in Asia and around the world to get an understanding on what makes them effective, how they do it, and advice to help you grow in leadership, branding, marketing, and sales. For more information, head over to my website, www.andrewtran.asia. Before we get into it, smash that subscribe button and click notifications, whether or not you're listening or watching this. It helps me a ton and it helps other like-minded people find these episodes a lot easier. Now, let's get on with the show. Michael, how's things going? Good, mate. How are you? I am great to be here. Yeah, no, thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. And for anyone who's watching or listening, Michael, if if you can tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. I run a a brand and marketing agency predominantly for law firms and professional services firms um, from Australia, but we've got clients um, around the world, which is very cool. We're very much brand strategy focused and content focused. So um, that that is a lot of fun. I was a lawyer in a previous life and I also ran an international legal recruitment consultancy for 13 years. So essentially I advise some of the biggest law firms in the world on their employer brand strategy. And then I've started to make a lot of content in my own business and just loved it. So spun out a, an agency about two and a half years ago and, and here we are, mate. <laughs> nice. Like with everything, I want to touch on Beyond Billables and what you do and stuff a little bit later, but just something for a little bit of fun. Um, if the you know, international gates were open today, where would you fly to? Yeah. If it was open today, I would fly straight into Vienna and take my kids to see their their grandparents and great grandmother in Slovakia because yeah we've been stuck away from family mate uh, I, I guess we, we all are man and uh, for me it'll be like coming back home to Australia um and catching up with my family and friends as well and you know getting on the mats with you Mr. Mr. Brownbell yeah. I know it's been it's been bloody too many years and and especially the last 18 months it's felt weird from a training perspective of a very stop and start but yes brown belt in brazilian jiu-jitsu um coming up to 10 years on the mat almost full time so yeah that's my definitely passion outside of work yeah do, do you think some of the principles you've learned in martial arts has kind of translated in the way you approach things as a strategist in the marketing space yeah no 100 in lots of different ways um in the general way I approach business as a bit of a journey and the need to continuously learn and continuously get better and my enjoyment of that, that's certainly in there. Um, I also, I approach content and, and from the perspective of a practitioner as well, in that it's not about being perfect. A lot of it is about working out what works as you go and you don't really know until you do it and I like to do that anyway so that I can show clients what works and not just speak about it in a generic sense saying you do this because that works but actually say you can do this and because I've done this and that's why I know it's going to work for you Um, and I think from a martial arts perspective there's certainly a, a teaching element as well and i enjoy that in the business because i you know i, I tend to think if i've learned something i want to teach someone else so that they can have that experience and i think about that in jiu-jitsu that's why people line up you know 
but it's your responsibility to help teach everyone to your left and somewhat in my business as well. And that's why I started Beyond Billables because I learned the power of brand and, and content and, and that element. And I thought, well, I'd love to empower, you know, other small and, and growing um, legal services and professional services businesses with that, that same insight that I was able to, to learn the hard way. <laughs> Yeah, actually, you just answered my first question, which was like, how did Beyond Billable start? Obviously, like you, you know, you mentioned before, you have a early background in law, um, and then yeah. you've decided to kind of transition. You love creating things, like we were kind of talking about a pre-call as well, and and it kind of translated. And now with like you know, with your martial arts background, it, it kind of has that flow effect um, with in terms of what you do, right? Yeah, man. And I guess it was a natural progression. So I, I was running a, this recruitment business and, and I was a bit burnt out or I was very burnt out and the business was changing and we were headhunters. And so we'd just be smashing the phones all day for years. And I had enough of it. Um, and then I thought, well, this content thing is interesting. And, and I actually had a meeting with two candidates who I just placed in London and I asked them, you know, why did you use our business? And they told me the answer actually didn't make me happy. It was, it was a personal answer, but, and it was like, because you are, because it was doing business with you. And I thought, okay, that's cool. But actually from a brand perspective, if I want to build a, a brand around this business, we failed with the brand message. We, we run every campaign for every international firm. And, and I thought, well, that should have been something that came up in those that discussion over lunch, but it just wasn't. And after that, I realized, okay, we've got to do a better job if I'm going to build a business. On the back of that, I started a podcast called the Beyond Billables Podcast. And then um, I just loved making things and I loved the strategy aspect. So I left the recruitment business behind and um, just was offering strategy and content creation services. And that essentially became became um the the agency yeah nice that's so cool that's a nice kind of really nice linear progression and then kind of coming back to full circle to what you want to do like you go back to what you want to do your your hobby per se and then like look towards kind of building that out in terms of your career so that's really really cool um so first question i really am interested in this obviously everyone who's watching and listening COVID's really, really affecting uh, you know, their territory, their city, their country, uh, especially you know, uh, there in, in Brisbane and also here in Minh City. Um, so my question is, is like, as COVID is kind of running through the city and governments are trying to figure things out, how are you seeing your, you know, your clients in the marketing space use marketing, use your services? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, last year, people put a stop to a lot of their marketing spend. Um, because in legal services are very reactive. Um, and so one of the fastest ways to cut costs is to stop doing marketing. Um, and so they did that um, across the board. Um, and that was made, you know, things difficult from our perspective. Um, what I've really seen, especially in the last six months, is that once people realized their business would survive, um, that they could afford to in invest in other marketing, the more, you know, the long-term view clients have taken the opportunity to, to really nail down their brand positioning, really nail down the assets that they need and start to roll that messaging out 
um, because they can do it from a position of strength um, and have been, you know, they've been quite forced, you know, had good foresight in that. In legal services, it's been incredibly busy across the board for a lot of law firms. They have done better than ever. I mean, some consumer facing firms haven't, but a lot of others have. So funnily enough, they ended up getting very busy. So they held off doing some projects, but, but yeah, I've seen people realize the, the importance of their brand and recognize though that, you know, if they're going to pl- they need to plan for the long term. And those kind of clients have, you know, have been coming back to us and saying, okay, what does 2022 look like now? Or, you know, let's get the basics right so we can, you know, really keep building on that. I think everyone internally, bigger firms internally, the marketing managers have had issues with budget. Um, and so they've been constrained. Um, I think that that's definitely turning around now um, with a lot of these businesses. Um, it still hasn't turned around enough, it, but it will continue to into 2022. And I think demand will keep building and um, and they'll recognize that they need to keep investing more. And, I, you know, we saw that turnaround earlier this year. And I like how you said at the beginning, like brands uh, are using the time initially to plan. So to try and survive and plan ahead as, as far as they can. Um, and then obviously one of the first things that happened is marketing budgets get cut. Uh, but as they realize is that, oh, wait a minute, if we cut our marketing, then we essentially cut our positioning in terms of like how we can actually either retain customers or even attract new customers. Because that's the whole point of marketing, right? You spend a dollar, you're hoping to get at least $3 back, right? And so they're saying, oh, yeah. wait, if we cut marketing completely, um, we're going to see like nothing coming back. So there's that kind of balance, right? Um, is that is that kind of what you were seeing as well? Like, especially in the early stages of when people, when businesses were in full lockdown? Oh, yeah, for sure. Look, in professional services, there is no balance generally. It's generally reactionary, short-term decision-making to protect profits of the principal. And across the board for any ex- expenses, and the most effective way to do that in the short term is to cut back expenses. The problem is... Once, you know, they realize that there's a real medium term cost to that, then they'll come back to it. What I've seen though, is the really progressive firms and the ones that have a, this is why the strategy is so important to have a multi-year view. They recognize that more people were online, there were more eyeballs, you know, and especially with a lot of platforms where you could still get really good organic results. Um, you know, a handful of, of good firms, you know, really saw the value in that. Not many though, mate, in the grand scheme of things, you know, I I see, you know, we're still a long way from where we will be. Um, And, you know, somewhat, I mean, the social media marketing aspects, I, I kind of, I think of it in terms of with a website, right? So 15 years ago, 20 years ago, there were websites, but a lot of businesses didn't invest much in them. Now everyone knows that it's a really critical point for your business to have a really good website. So they invest in that. Social media is really still 
five to 10 years even in professional services away from them recognizing the opportunity and value there. Some do, but it's a really small percentage of the population. And I, I would just have a chat with a podcast guest, um, James from Coffee and a Case Note, and he's, he's done amazingly well on social media. And I didn't ask him, but the truth is like, there's no one out there copying what he does. And I find that amazing given the results. Um, and even still, you know, we're a long way from a lot of businesses recognizing that, that value. And it's coming, it's just coming kind of slowly in the conservative businesses that, that, you know, I work with. And uh, you, you touched on like professional services, right? And so as an agency, like working in or service and clients within the professional services space, um, when it comes to B2B, I think you alluded it before where it's a, like a little bit of reactionary, but is there any kind of clear differences uh, between some of the professional services in terms of marketing strategy where you compare that against maybe other B2B services? Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I look at the gaps and I think the gap with professional services still is really understanding how complementary um, their all the different aspects of their brand are to to other aspects of their business. So they still silo things. They see marketing as over here as being this just lead generation. And then there's business development. And then there's, um, you know, client experience and CX. And then there's X. And I think with professional services, we're still some ways away from um, people being able to join the dots and understand how complementary they all are to each other because they still talk about these things as being separate, but they're not like if, if, if you're, you know, if personal one-to-one -one business development is important to you, then shouldn't you have a great online presence and be building value because that gets you more opportunity to sit down in that situation or it builds trust before you sit down in that situation. And I think professional services struggle to see those connections because organizationally they still create silos organizationally with with budget and funding within teams um, who then have specific goals set and organizationally there's not a lot of overlap between those things so there's you know it's it's a classic the employment teams over here and they have a budget for, you know, for employer branding or, or, you know, attraction and retention. And then the marketing and BD teams over here and they have their own budget and they don't want to spend any money on, you know, employer brand. They just want to spend money on, on, you know, attracting new clients. And so all of a sudden there's this kind of fake divide within an organization. And, and so I think professional services have a lot, to learn with that because I know a lot of product businesses and, and consumer businesses that are much more aligned in that um, internally. And that's going to be our job in the next you know, decade to demonstrate that if you do this really well over here, it's got a really positive net effect over here. And um, yeah, and I think we're a long way from people really un understanding that. And, and organizations making d good decisions on that basis. Yeah, it's the siloing that, that really kind of hampers, I guess, business growth or, or business trajectory in terms of like their maturity. 
to scale and, and, and grow more. It's something actually, when you were explaining all that, it reminded me of previous guests that I had where he was talking about um, the divisional silos that um, teams have and the way to overcome it is through an omni-channel type of approach or a more integrated type of approach, especially when we look at campaigns that are coming in um, and, and how we kind of attack that from a retention point of view, from an acquisition point of view, you know, because it's not all about like, you know, acquiring new customers. You also need to look after your existing customers as well, because they're going to be the ones that are going to be loyal to you. They're going to be the ones that will refer you to others as well. And so having that intertwined, I think is really interesting, especially like in the legal space um, where I, I see it's like, oh, is it like the old boys type of approach where people get businesses through personal contacts versus where like, as opposed to, you know, contacts through online kind of spaces and stuff. So well, look, it, it matters for all businesses. I just think about mine and I try to create, you know, a, a pod like approach when we're, we've got a project and I want to bring in the variety of skills in my team. And the more I divide things up and saying, that's just your job and that's just your job. Whenever that happens, the outcome of work is, is inferior where when I empower the team to work across each other, you know, I've got a great, you know, my great designer plus my videographer, who's got a different artistic eye to things and my strategic eye, that power is way more than me just giving individual tasks out when we're able to, you know, to work on the same level. And the issue professional services firms have is that the role of ego and the role of um, not just ego, but the structural reality of these businesses where it's hard for them to sit down and take what that other person has to say as being on the same level as them, especially with legal practices or accounting practices, because they're not the fee earner. So they, you know, they aren't seen as valued as much, but if we can come in and create a, a sense that, you know, that person's opinion is hugely valuable, um, then, you know, you can get that shared skill a- across the business. And, and I think, especially in the, in the marketing space, um, that's where the, the non-practitioner can add way more value. So I try to do that ourselves because I recognize that I can find myself in that position too. Do you, do you find that with professional services, do you find like when people go towards like, why did they go to one legal firm versus another firm? Does, so, I mean, if we take away like, oh, because I like that particular lawyer and I like how that particular lawyer dealt with XYZ case, which is potentially related to my case. Do you find that um, the, I guess the legacy of that particular firm. So it's like, you know, uh, I don't know, which, which one, like, like two like largest yeah. firms in Australia, for instance, like, do you think the legacy of the heritage of that really plays a part? Yeah, it does. I mean, that's brand. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, no, certainly um, relationships play a part, long-term relationships. I think that's potentially decreasing, um, especially as new players come in and there's more opportunity um, to test other services um, and other providers that more are more discreet boutique providers. Um, so I think it's decreasing, but it's always, it's always going to be useful. And that's, yeah, that's the classic power of brand. It's also, um, you know, 
client knowledge is kept in that other relationship as well. So that firm has a strong knowledge of the that business. And, and so um, they're in a position where they can probably provide a, you know, a better service if they deeply understand that business. Um, but it's getting disrupted by other, certainly by other players now. And because a lot of procurement decision makers um, are quite um, progressive and looking forward and they've got different like motivators for how they procure work, that's starting to change in professional services. And it's kind of like with creative services, right? Like back in the day, a big business might've just gone to a larger agency who would just do everything for them. Now, you know, less so you be like, no, no, I want the best, you know, videographer over there. I want the best strategy person over there. I want, and then bringing that all together from, you know, that, that tends to happen a lot more now, even with big businesses in, in, you know, in brand and creative. Yeah. Nice. That's really, really interesting. Uh, the way you just kind of compared say the legal services, um, how they would traditionally, how one would pick one particular legal services to, uh, I guess, creative services now, like where you're not necessarily looking for like an Ogilvy or like a Leo Burnett, but you're looking for like these small boutiques that have um, a speciality in one area that will get the most of it. Um, I think that's, that's really, really cool. And, and also I think what was really interesting in what you said before was like the disruptors, these small firms that are coming up that are disrupting the space um, that are specializing in certain, you know, legalities, say like crypto, like you know, crypto or, or blockchain or, or any other kind of FinTech element. Um, then you got ones that are like really kind of honed in around, I don't know, sports management or something like that. Um, so I think that's, that is really, really cool. Man. It's the same with our business, mate. Like, honestly, um, you know, the fact is that if you've got a specialization, it's a lot easier for people to make a decision on your services because you're openly differentiated from the competition. So if you're a law firm, like why wouldn't you use my services over a generalist? Because I deeply understand your business was a lawyer X, Y, and Z, right? And it goes for anyone who um, is able to find a positioning around something that's important to, to that buyer that does, you know, and then, yeah, I mean, that's the greatest argument for positioning, right? Like um, being chosen based on, on your positioning, but it's the same in, you know, in creative services, professional services. Um, yeah. It, it, it's very, very similar. So Michael, um, just before we kind of lead into the last question, I'm really, really interested in this, like, because you work in the, uh, in, the, in the professional services space and you love creating content, you've been creating content for years now. What are some of the cool things that you've seen um, in terms of content creation in this space? Yeah, look, I think um, certainly video um, and it is, is really great um, for firms of all sizes. Um, I'm seeing some better produced video. Um, I think... Like if I was a firm, I'd be looking at what other people do more broadly and and not just doing simple direct-to-camera things, but looking at how you can produce other content in ways that are more digestible. Um, I've certainly for, you know, a lot of carousel and document style posts, infographics, things like that on, on LinkedIn and across Instagram and, and Facebook and elsewhere. Um, 
I, I think that there's so much scope for doing more of that and making video off the back of say blog content or presentations that, you know, especially professional services do, they write a lot, but it's not very accessible content, uh, 1500 word blog on something, but you create a cool document post or an infographic and it's, it's, it's way more accessible. So I've, you know, firms who are doing that um, and moving away from just purely sales driven content, really focusing down on value and really focusing down on, you know, it, it, it's not about telling the market how good you are. You know, no one really cares that you know how to draft X, Y, and Z contract the best because, you know, but what they care about is their problems and, and how you're the best person to solve their problems and how you go about that. And, and that's what they really, really care about. And some firms are starting to really, you know, improve with that. They care about stories. They care about, you know, putting themselves in. So yeah, that I've started to see that change, but there's still a lot of volume garbage content out there, mate. That's like, it seems to be box ticking exercise and we've got to put content out. So we'll just punch this out. Um, and, but, you know, I, I definitely clients of ours love the variety now. And, um, you know, I, I love the fact that you can use different forms of media. Yeah. I, and do you find that with content, uh, the pop, like, do you still see uh, it's all mostly dominated by like this clean cut, polished type of video edit cut? Or are you also seeing the emergence of more, you know, intimate, humanized type of stories where they're just direct in front of the camera and, and, you know, showing that sure. humanity. Yeah. 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 No, for sure. And obviously short video. I mean, short video is everything. Um, whether it's, it's reels, TikTok or, you know, shorts on YouTube. Um, and that short form video, that is just so powerful. And when businesses really recognize the power of that, um, maybe it'll be, well, look, you know, some businesses do already. Um, but, you know, for instance, our little agency, I had a, a reel with 10.3 million views and 400,000 likes. Um, and interestingly, I think it was seven or 8 million of them were in the 35 to 50 year old age demographic on, on TikTok, on, on what reels, was it? right? What was it? Um, it, was, it was actually just this, um, it was this reel where I was doing, um, I had actually um, Zlatan Ibrahimovic um, speaking and and it was talking about setting up our office space and he was talking about going to ikea and um how he was getting um his furniture in, made in ikea and uh and it was very it was a funny clip from a you know from a really well-known sports person and i just used that um and had a had a good laugh about it because we were, I was literally putting my office together myself, mate. So, um, yeah. So, but it, that was a really good sign for me that if you're a consumer facing business, you know, maybe that was our fiftieth reel. And where this this you know, so if you're a consumer facing business, that was ten point three million organic, four hundred thousand like engagements. If you're not doing that and you sell to like, what are you doing? 
that was like such the evidence to me right there where the audience is for organic. Anyway, I, I digress, but short, short video. Um, yeah, hugely powerful. Wow. That's cool. You're inspiring me to get on the real game because I I've, I've done bits of reels like on Instagram. I've yet to kind of go on TikTok. I focus a lot of my time and energy mostly on LinkedIn and just building my connections through there because that's where most of my clients are mostly at and where they see things and stuff. And I like how you mentioned before um, earlier that those carousels, so, you know, taking a, a pretty dry document and uh, finding a really creative way to tell the story of it in like, you know, six to maybe 10 slides. Uh, in this carousel, which is really cool. And pro tip, anyone who's watching, listening, um, experiment with your LinkedIn carousels because you will get engagement like going gangbusters on that. I don't know why, but it, you just, I mean, is that, is that something you, you're seeing as well? Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, carousels perform great. Um, yeah. and, and, and also, like, if you make it for that, it's something you can send a client. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a great it's a PDF, right? So you, if, if you like to email things out, you, you've, you've got something that you can email out and thinking about your content is it's not just LinkedIn. It's not just this platform, but it's, it's, you know, maybe you make it for one and you can send it somewhere else. And I, yeah. I regularly put them on our website now on our blog as well, but yeah, nice. those, that carousel style, um, document style, um, huge engagement and, especially for now on LinkedIn will, you know, in 18 months time and it already engagements decreasing, um, you know, it, it'll be paid to play on LinkedIn at some point. So if you're not making the most of it, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I think, I think as LinkedIn matures, like you, you'll see the signs of pay to play come in to affect uh, a lot more overtly on LinkedIn. As soon as they increase or improve their marketing um, capabilities like their media like capabilities similar to the space of like Twitter or Facebook where you know it's very, very like they make it super super easy for small firms or small businesses to actually advertise on that platform as soon as they make that yeah it's going to be pay to play so yeah anyone who's watching listening you're on LinkedIn like maximize as much as you can experiment as much as you can um, like try different formats as well and uh, and you, you'll find the one that suits uh, you the most and as soon as like you know, organic reach decreases organically on LinkedIn. You're going to find like, oh, all the hard work that you've done in the past is going to pay dividends later down track. So 100% yeah. and mix it up. Like you said, like I, I just put a text um, message out on, on LinkedIn the other day and I don't do them often because I usually hate the long spiels, but I did like a, a, a relatively short one. And it had 6,000 organic and, you know, a hundred or something engagements in a day, which now is really great. Um, I mean, those numbers used to be easier to hit, but, but now I was just like, what, you know? So that was because I think I've been mixing things up across different media types and different content types. Yep. Nice. Nice. And uh, look, like I know you're pressed for time. So I have one last question. It is a question that I ask all my guests. Um, it is advice time. So uh, Michael, if you had to talk to uh, C-suite around marketing, but in particular around retention, what kind of advice would you give them? Employee retention? Um, it could be client retention or employee retention. 
Oh, well, okay. I, I would say um, take advantage of the opportunities that are there to reach an audience now um, because there are ways to reach people that are way more cost-effective than old-school advertising. And if you invest in that, if you invest in really, really great content, you can multiply your time because one piece of content, if it reaches... Even if it reaches 50 people, that's 50 less copies that you necessarily ha have to have. So think about the multiplying effect of the content that you have and the long-term value of the brand and the investment in it. Because the ROI is, it's might not be today, but, but once you get the brand right, you, you literally, you've got that for a decade. People will still be asking me about the Beyond Bills podcast in 10 years time if I don't put another one out. And, and I think all businesses can, can think about that value. Um, so long-term investment in brand because brand is what drives value in the business and what helps you get more customers yeah, more um, returning customers, charge more for the customers you have and, and build long-term value. So if you can afford to be having a long-term view on that investment, um, make it in ways that you can build that underlying value of your business over time. And, and that will help attract um, the right people, the right client, if you get your positioning right and do all the strategic things that you need to do as well. It's not just about making stuff. It's about being very strategic about it, being very thoughtful, getting that positioning right and, and, and making sure that that brand messages is on point and it's on point in every touch point that you have with your client. And it sounds like a lot, but it should be what we aspire to as business owners. And it's what I do. I want every touch point of Beyond Billables to be having that stamp on it. And that's what every size business should aspire to, especially the C-suite and it's achievable. Yeah, nice, nicely put, nicely put. And Michael, for anyone who's like, God damn, I need to reach out to Michael. Where are the channels they should reach out to you by? Yeah, well, I'm everywhere. But look, LinkedIn, uh, Michael Bromley on, on LinkedIn. Um, please connect to me there. Um, at Beyond Billables um, on Instagram and Facebook. Um, please feel free to DM me, connect me with me and the same with TikTok. Um, yeah, we're everywhere. Um, and, you know, love the contact with people all around the world. And it's just, you know, it's great fun to have this discussion with you, mate. And I can't wait to roll with you hopefully next year when we're allowed to. <laughs> yeah. 100%. I need to get back in the game. I haven't, uh, I haven't actually touched mats here in over, uh, I dare say over two, like one and a half years. I haven't touched the mats at all. So I got to get back into it. Um, Dude, you know, but we saw the first week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, just get, just get through the first week of, of just hard training and then everything, everything should just click. Right. Um, you know, so for anybody who's watching, let's say I'm a purple belt. So it's not like I'm a white belt where I don't know anything. I know a little bit of something. Um, and so I'm able to kind of translate that uh, coming through. But Michael, thank you so much for your time. It was so much fun talking to you. And for anyone who's watching or listening, I'll put all of his details in the show notes below. Um, and until then, I'll see you on the next show.